Hey everybody, Bill here, and before we dive into today's show, I've got a very special offer to share with you that could have a profound impact on the governance and long-term success of your DMO. We've been invited to be part of an exciting consortium of five DMO-focused consultancies that are coming together in a few weeks to host the Board Leadership for Destinations Symposium. It's a two-day immersion into the best practices employed by DMO boards that make a difference in their communities. Check out this lineup of thought leaders in our sector. Julie Hart from CFO by Design on creating a rock-solid financial base for your organization. John Lambeth of Civitas Advisors on developing new and innovative revenue streams to power the work you do on behalf of your community. Mike Gamble of Searchwide Global will share the best practices in succession planning, executive search, and DEI. Chris Eyrig of Fired Up on building a culture of inclusivity, creativity, and empowerment to drive DMO leadership forward in your community. And I'll be there to discuss the nuts and bolts of next generation board governance. It's a very different world out there than just 10 years ago and how DMOs can have a powerful impact on the future of their communities. But as they used to say in those Ronco commercials, that's not all. Representatives from Destinations International will share their take on the evolving state of DMOs. Maura Gast will be our mistress of ceremonies. And we're going to build in lots of time for board leaders to interact with their peers from around the country to share their challenges and issues in a collaborative problem-solving environment. This program is designed for the DMO CEO and two senior board leaders to be part of the event. It's all happening January 31st and February 1st at the Irving Convention Center in Irving, Texas. And registration is now open, but I got to tell you, seats are limited for this inaugural event. To learn more, go to boardleadershipfordestinations.com, and we hope to see you in Irving, Texas, for this sensational mix of DMO experts coming together to elevate the art and science of destination board leadership. And now, let's hit it. This is DMOU, Destination Marketing Organization University, the DMO Sector's podcast, and I'm your host, Bill Geist. DMOU is where you hear the best and the brightest in the destination marketing space, sharing innovative and compelling stories to inspire you to take your destination and organization to the next level. The format for our conversations on DMOU is elegantly simple. It's three questions and a bonus round. And this episode is sponsored by Destinations International, where one of the member benefits is access to the Meetings Information Network Database, which is known as Mint Plus. It's a shared repository of information on organizations and their meetings and events. You can prospect intelligently for group business armed with valuable information about historical meeting details and future bookings as reported by your fellow destination organizations. With over 150,000 meeting histories and 175,000 planner profiles, the Mint Plus database is the most comprehensive collection of group business information available to destination marketing organizations. And because fellow DMOs contribute on a regular basis all their booking information and histories of their clients, you can rest assured that your prospects are familiar with DMOs and the value that we add to the meeting planning process. To learn more, go to destinationsinternational.org mint. And now it's on to our show. Lynn Tillotson started her hospitality career in 1988 at the Orlando World Center Marriott, a 2,000-room, 200,000-square-foot convention property where she spent 14 years. 
In 2001, she returned home to Maine and she joined the Convention and Visitors Bureau. During her early years at the Bureau, Lynn was the membership advertising and special events manager before being promoted to director of tourism marketing. Her previous management role at the CVB prepared her for many of the strategies necessary to lead the organization, including development and management of the CVB brand identity, drafting and implementing of the national and international tourism marketing plans, oversight of the Cruise Portland, Maine Consortium, as well as the Greater Portland CVB Visitor Information Centers. As president and CEO, Lynn continues to foster the relationships she has cultivated locally throughout the U.S. and abroad over the past couple of decades. Her rapport with the tourism professionals around the world is resulting in a growing interest in Greater Portland as a visitor destination. Lynn Tillotson, welcome to DMOU. Thank you so much for having me. You know, we had an opportunity to talk, I don't know, a couple of months ago. There's some really interesting things going on in Portland right now, and I wanted to get a a bead on some of the the development that's happening. And you've got a a really cool development project that is just getting off the ground. And, And as we talked we were discussing the whole funding of DMOs and, and how it all works. And I was stunned to realize that your funding mechanism is probably one of the most outlier that I have seen or heard about anywhere in the country. And I thought this would make an amazing episode and a learning process, I think, for all of us in the destination marketing organization space, because you come at funding your operation from a completely different way. Most DMOs in the United States operate with some form of hospitality-related taxes, but that's not the case in Maine. Your state's DMOs are 100% privately funded. So share with us the backstory behind how Maine has emerged as such an outlier, but I don't mean that in a negative sense at all. I, I almost think this may be the future of destination marketing. So tell us the backstory. Yeah, it's interesting. I go to CEO summits or or DI events and, you know, just in general conversation, people will say, oh, what percentage of TOT do you get? I'm like, <laughs> zero. And they look at me like three heads are like, are you kidding me? I'm like, no, I'm 100% partnership funded. 100%. Our businesses pay us dues and we figure out how to raise money any way we can. We're as much of a fundraising organization, unfortunately, as we are a marketing organization. So it sets us up with some interesting challenges for sure. But this is a main thing, right? I mean, Maine does not provide the avenue for public funding, correct? That is correct. So Maine has a 9% state lodging tax. And 100% of that goes to the state. The municipalities do not receive anything. They've been trying to pass legislation now for some time, several years, to put an optional lodging tax opportunity for municipalities. And it's never passed. They've always done meals and lodging. So of course, locals don't want to see an optional Uh, meals tax. It affects the local for sure. It's not dead. It keeps coming back over and over again. I would anticipate that once they figure out that it should be on lodging only, that it may pass. But Maine is interesting. We're a very high-taxed state. So usually when the forbidden three-letter word tax comes up, people just 
throw their hands up and say, absolutely not, no more. Mm -hmm. So we'll see where it goes. Fascinating that something that is so common in, I'm guessing, the other 49 states has not taken root in Maine. So how have you managed then to thrive over the past you know, two or three decades with no public funding whatsoever and then lay over that COVID? Where does that money come from to power Visit Portland and a staff of nine DMO professionals? I mean, this isn't a, a small operation by any stretch of the imagination. And so this takes some serious private money. How have you done that? <laughs> it's that's an interesting thing. So we just turned 40 years old okay. in, in October this past year. And it's really been just through being scrappy, really. Membership dues for sure is the largest amount of our revenue. And then we get creative with additional pay to play opportunities with, you know, our visitor guide advertising or any advertising we do. Unfortunately, we have to do a lot of co-op advertising, you know, in magazines versus the beautiful one-page ads that you see destinations doing. We have to get creative to try to make money whenever we advertise. Um, we sell advertising on our website. We sell brochure distribution. I mean, you name it, we try to make money on it. And we're also, we run really lean, really lean. I think if somebody looked at our, at our expenses, they would be surprised at how well we do with keeping things lean, especially during the COVID years, for sure. Sadly, our, our salaries are representative of our nonprofit, individually funded situation as well. So it all comes down to we just try to do whatever we can to keep a balanced budget, do what we can for marketing our destination, um, make sure that we don't ever go in the hole and and we try to continue to, to do our mission at the same time. You know, one wonders, well, at least I wonder, I mean, after COVID, does government wake up to realize, hey, this organization is vital to our future and we need to invest to make sure that it's running at optimum speed. And, you know, to your sad point that compensation kind of follows that whole quote unquote nonprofit world view. These are some of the most important jobs that a community can support. It's the work that we do. And I know that, you know, we're very close to it and we are advocates for destination marketing and we understand why this is so crucial. But are you seeing anything from local government that would indicate that they value what you do to the point that they should say, you know something, we should probably write a check out of the general fund, which you know I've been an advocate for for as long as I can remember, that if it's important to the community, it shouldn't be relegated to hospitality taxes. If it's important to the region, then general fund money should be a consideration. Are you seeing any movement there? Not really, to be honest. Here's the situation in Maine is if it came from the general fund, that means the state's general fund because all the lodging tax goes to the state. They do fund the Office of Tourism, so the Maine Office of Tourism. 
So we do see that. Uh, we've got a great office of tourism. When it comes down to the local level for Portland and the areas that I represent, again, they don't receive any benefit from taxes. All the taxes go to the state. So their um, budgets are also made up of property taxes and all the different ways that they try to raise money as well. So although that they should really see the value in us, they don't yet because they don't see the direct impact, which is unfortunate. So I spend a lot of time trying to advocate for ourselves, make sure that the community understands the value of visitors instead of having the comment, gee, I can't wait till they go away. We're sick of this traffic or, <laughs> right. you know, this constant battle of making sure that they understand. Uh, it's certainly a big part of my role. Yeah. And I'm sorry, I, I don't have the URL or the link to the YouTube video, but there's a YouTube video out there for those who are listening of Lynn, I think in front of your chamber of commerce or, or some other community group, it's like a 40 or 50 minute dissertation on the importance of tourism and the importance of your organization, which I thought was a masterful presentation. So if anybody's interested, I'm sure if you just put in the search, Lynn Tillotson, Portland CVB, you'll find it. But for all of us, that's the issue, right? Is that we're constantly out there trying to explain how this whole thing works. And in its own weird way, Maine is kind of like Florida, where people say, well, people are coming anyway. And, you know, after COVID, you've got you know, some of these quote unquote over tourism destinations who are pulling marketing back off the table. Sedona is probably the the case study for most. And they're, I'm sure Sedona is going to have a great year this year and they're probably going to have a great year next year. And then I think the, the wheels will fall off in 2025 and 2026 because there, there's no marketing to back this thing up. You know, Terry and I were planning a main fall vacation and I was late to the party. I didn't get around to starting to, you know, do my trip planning and reservations until probably, I don't know, late August or early September. And, you know, all the hotels, we're, we're talking mid-range hotels. I'm not going to call out a brand, but we all know what we're talking about. We're at, you know, 550 a night. And we all, we looked at each other like, <laughs> no, we're just going to watch the fall colors here. <laughs> as much as we want to go to Maine and New Hampshire and Vermont and see that, you know, the fall colors that are supposed to be the best in the world. And, you know, isn't that part of the problem is that people assume that Maine is such a great destination that people will come. Yeah. Right. That's a big problem because there's a perception based on those rates. Oh, tourism, they're fine. Hotels are doing fine. Have you seen the rates? What they need to remember is that we are incredibly seasonal mm -hmm. and they have essentially four months to really raise money to float them through the year, at least in the Portland area. Our state is very divided. You've got the coastal area, which is far more populated. And then you have the rural area, which in the wintertime does really well with snowmobiling and skiing and ice fishing and all of that. So for us in our coastal area, they have four months. Mm -hmm. It's essentially July, August, September, and October to raise funds. And then it, you know, if you look at some rates in February, they're far different. But that's where my argument is for additional funding is that 
with my limited budget, I'm not able to make a huge dent to really focus on winter visitation, shoulder visitation. We are a great, great destination in the winter. Our restaurant scene is amazing. We've got this quaint downtown with all kinds of shops. It's sort of like going to, you know, a Quebec city. Mm -hmm. I don't go to Quebec city in the summertime because I can't afford it, but will I bundle up and enjoy Quebec city in the wintertime? Absolutely. So there's no reason why we can't extend our, our season, but it's, it's tough with the limited funds that I have. Yeah. So let's look at the future then. So do the advantages of not having to deal with the politics of government funding outweigh the added revenue that could be brought to bear? I mean, there, there are some of us that would say, if we could pull off a totally private-funded DMO, we would have entered heaven because we don't have to deal with all the crap. But the amount of revenue that's available through hospitality taxes is, in most states, compelling enough that we'll, we'll sign up for the politics to make that happen so that we can do the job that we're charged with doing. Tell me, what's the next move for Visit Portland? I mean, does the advantage of being private actually outweigh the money that could come from public? There is a huge advantage to being private. There really is. I mean, when I'm with fellow colleagues and I'm listening to things that are being spoken about and the challenges that they face, there's oftentimes that I say to myself, oh my gosh, thank God, I don't have to deal with that. <laughs> I mean, honestly, but at the same time, the situation that we're in as a membership funded model only is not sustainable for the future moving forward. Yeah. You know, we lost through COVID, we lost 65% of our revenues. Wow. Quickly because our partners that were funding us mm -hmm. were the ones that were shut down, the hotels, the restaurants, the attractions, you know, all of it immediately. And for a long time, they still could not afford to pay us because they, you know, they had so much debt and, and all these expenses that are happening right now. Everything's more expensive that they're literally looking at us and saying, we value you. We want to pay the dues, but I have to pay my staff. I yeah. have to do outdoor seating. I have, you know, so it's, we're still crawling back up for decades. We've been able to raise right at a flat million ish every year. It's been staying pretty consistent, which is small for an all-in operating yeah. budget and marketing budget of one million. I'm now down to about four fifty. So it's really, really rough. And because of that, we've been working on with Civitas on a tourism improvement mm -hmm. district. It is for sure a marathon versus a sprint to get one of these done. And for us, because we haven't been tied to the municipality, they haven't understood what we've done because they don't, you know, we don't have a portion of taxes. We haven't had to report out to city council and all of that every year. It's been a huge education piece to try to get them to understand the need for this. And that's literally where I'm at right now. I'm, I'm, nearing hopefully the end of some negotiations with the city but many times they're like 
you guys don't need it. We saw the summer rates, you know, and we're like, right. no, we do. They also don't understand how much it takes to really market a destination. So they're like, you don't need that much money. I'm like, no, we do. And part of me is, you know, we, they've been negotiating on the percentage of, of the TID assessment. They don't think we need as much money as we do. So they're wanting us to do a smaller percentage. And honestly, I've had that conversation with my committee to say, do we really want to be tied to the city? for the amount of money that this percentage would give us. So it's it's a conversation we're having right now. It's, and it's a real honest conversation because working with the city can be very difficult. But isn't it fascinating that they're worried about percentage when this is something that the hotel community wants and will support? And if the hotel community is willing to go, whatever, $2, 2%, whatever it is, why would the city say no? Exactly. It doesn't make any sense. It's, it's, I know. It doesn't make any sense at all. And I'm banging my head against a wall right now because in addition, we've offered to provide a pretty hefty percentage of the revenues to take care of things that visitors experience in our community. We have a really bad situation with public restrooms. So we offered to help with some public restrooms, you know, mm-hmm trash removal, you know, that sort of thing. So this is not costing the city one thing and we're willing to provide funds for it, but they're still not getting it. It's frustration. Yeah, it's the main culture of taxation and the whole thing. So yeah, fascinating, absolutely fascinating. Well, you know, congratulations for what you've done. I mean, to generate a million dollars from the private sector in a community like Portland, that's pretty sensational. Thank you. We have a great community. We really do. It's it's everyone pitching in. I mean, they they're really vested in visitation, especially the ones that, you know, rely on it. They understand it. We're essentially the only CVB in the state, too. Um there's a small one-person CVB in Bangor, which is about almost 3 hours north of us. COVID is it's causing them to struggle there. They may dissolve. So I think that's also a problem for our state is that not as familiar with what a CVB does and how important we are. Well, yeah, because most of the tourism promotion at the local level really falls in other parts of the state to chambers of commerce, right? It does. It does. And they don't really do outward bound, you know, out of state marketing because they're all very, very small chambers. It's more that they may run a small information center. They'll do a little visitor's guide, that sort of thing. But yes, it's all chamber run. But, you know, I think to to close out before we get to your bonus round question, I'm taken by the fact that your business community, and I think we have to understand that the business community today is different than the business community of, let's say, 1985, where a lot of times businesses would write a check to an organization like yours because it's the right thing to do. Nobody writes checks anymore because it's the right thing to do. They write checks because they see Mm. a value. They see a benefit. And clearly you're providing that to the tune of a million dollars a year to a community that I'm going to guess per capita probably puts more into their DMO than virtually any other private sector community in the nation. 
That's a really interesting way to think about it. I haven't thought about it that way. You're you're probably right. And because of that, we value our partners so much. And you mentioned our, our nine-person staff. It's also because we do everything in-house. And we you know, we <laughs> yeah. really can't really afford to use marketing partners that might cost us quite a bit. So we do everything in-house, which also allows us to really control how much we ensure that we're giving back to our members. Our director of partner development is a shark overseeing all of us saying, did you make sure we did this? We need, we promised this, this, we need to make sure we're doing this. And we really are on top of making sure that they're happy with our services. They're getting promoted and that we provide them with a return. Cause you know, again, they, they have to raise their funds in a short window. And so they could choose not to use us and, you know, and yeah. we really appreciate what they do for us. Yeah, very cool. Well, it's time for the bonus round question. Before entering the world of destination marketing, as I said in your opening bio, you spent the first part of your career in hotels, most notably a 14-year stint at the Orlando World Center Marriott. Now, a lot of us in this industry started in hotels, but most of us didn't start at a 2,000-room beast of a property. So with a hotel that size in a destination that crazy. I'm sure you've got stories. So what are some of your favorites? Oh my gosh. I have so many <laughs> stories of that property. I mean, you know, with it, when a hotel is that large and there's so much coming in and out, it, just the craziness that happens. I was actually thinking of this question and I'm, and I, I was just trying to think of things and I was, Probably one of the things I thought about in general was sort of crosses over from from the hotel experience I had, as well as when I went into the CVB, and it was just not to underestimate technology. I remember I was at the World Center, and we had a car manufacturing conference, and I honestly forget which one it was. But we were bringing all these vehicles into the ballroom for display for the exhibition hall area. And this gentleman says, hey, hop in. I'll have you drive this one. So I'm like, oh, okay, sure. I'll bring it into the ballroom for you. He goes, press this button. I'm like, okay. So he looks at me. He goes, it's running. I'm like, no, it's not. And he goes, yeah, it's, it's running. This is early 90s. It was an electric car. And it was probably one of the very yeah. electric cars. I remember bringing it into the ballroom and then I walked away thinking, that'll How never funny. take. Yeah. You know, now look at where we are. When I got to the bureau, my predecessor, we were laughing one day because we were building a new website. And she said, oh, I sent, you know, so-and-so to a conference years ago, like a little seminar introducing the World Wide Web. <laughs> and she came back from the meeting and she goes, that'll never take. That's crazy. You know? Yeah. And fast forward 15 years, social media comes along and I'm like, we don't have to focus on that. That'll never take. Look at where we are and the what's happened. It's crazy. Yeah. Crazy. You know, it is funny. I, and this really, really dates me. But as I was 
leaving the uh, Madison Bureau and getting ready to launch this consultancy, the last thing I did was I green-lighted a website. It was the same conversation. People are going, oh, come on. Nobody's going to communicate with email. Nobody's going to look at their computer to find anything about tourism. This is just crazy. It's a waste of money. Don't do it. And as I was walking out the doors, the last thing I green-lighted was, I said, go, do it. And, you know, we were one of the first destination marketing organizations to have one back. Remember Motion GIFs? That was a big deal that you could have an icon or an image that would move. Like, oh my God. I mean, and of course today it's just crazy. But yeah, it's been an amazing uh, couple of decades uh, at least. So, hey, Lynn, thank you for sharing the entrepreneurial side of what I think very well could be the future of DMOs. As we continue to work around the country, you know, we're seeing increasing pressure on the public side of funding. And there's got to be a better way. And I think that membership moving into partnership, moving into whatever it may be, what is probably in your DNA and you don't think about it very often, I think may very well be the future of what a lot of our uh, destinations are going to be facing. So thank you for uh, sharing that side of uh, how you do what you do uh, in Maine. Yeah, thank you. And if anyone's listening that happens to be like me, I would love to chat. <laughs> Misery loves company. Share some story. Yes, exactly. <laughs> well, oh, I don't God. think it's misery. I, I do think it's the future. And uh, congratulations for all you do. So that's it for this edition of DMOU. Tell your friends and your peers. This is where the best and the brightest get together to tell inspiring stories for DMO pros. And thanks, too, to our sponsor, Destinations International, where one of the member benefits is access to the Meetings Information Network database, also known as Mint Plus. It's a shared repository of information on organizations and their meetings and events and their histories. You can prospect intelligently for group business, armed with valuable information about historical meeting details and future bookings, as reported by your fellow destination marketing organizations. For more, go to Destinations International slash Mint. DMOPros.com is where you're going to find more on our services for the DMO world, our book destination leadership, plus links to past editions of the Z News, our position papers on board diversity and the future of destination marketing, and the biggest DMO job board on the planet, not to mention links to earlier episodes of DMOU. That's DMOPros with a Z.com. Executive producer of DMOU is Terry White, and this is a production of DMO Pros. I'm your host, Bill Geist. Until next time. 